You're listening to a Radio 191 FM podcast. Left, right, left. How long can we holler when it ain't no breath? You keep killing fathers without no regrets. Then keep on counting dollars till it ain't none left. So the streets gon' keep on marching like left, right, left. Fuck your empty promises, these ain't no threats. Streets is taking all of it, you made your bed. Fix it, always problems, we ain't going nowhere. Bring all right, you are listening to Haunting Studio, a podcast about horror in music and all things that orbit those two points. If you're listening to this, you are listening to a little bonus that we are recording after we've done the recording for the two main parts of our little flipping special. If you haven't listened to either of those episodes... Fake fan. Don't want to insult them right off the bat. If you haven't listened to any of those two episodes, maybe go and listen to those before you listen to this one, because this is just going to be a short little addendum, a little kind of appendix to that where we're going to discuss uh, a single that was released between the two albums There Existed Addiction to Blood in 2019 and Visions of Bodies Being Burned in 2020. That single that we are going to be discussing for a little bit today was uh, a little independent release. It didn't come out on either... It wasn't tracks that were on either of those two albums. It was released in uh, mid to late June of 2020, a couple months before the October release of Visions of Bodies Being Burned, and was a, I suppose, a response to the death of George Floyd and the uh, mass unrest which swept the US in the immediate aftermath of his killing by the Minneapolis PD. So we're going to be discussing that single, the two tracks on it. Um, one track, Chapter 319, for which the single gets its name, and the other track, Knees on the Ground, which is an older track of theirs and was sort of bundled in for the Bandcamp release of this single. And to specify, we listened to the Bandcamp release of this single rather than some of the other releases. The Spotify version of this single, for example, only includes the track Chapter 319. So we really listened to the Bandcamp release that has both tracks on it. I think there are different versions of Chapter 319 as well. Yeah. Some of I believe the Spotify version doesn't feature the sample of Big Floyd or George Floyd's rap. Yeah, Big Floyd and DJ Screw is the um, sample that is omitted in the Spotify version. I would imagine for reasons of copyright. Mm. I imagine that's probably the issue. I, I can't think of any other reason why they would omit it for the Spotify release. So... Yeah, we the version we listened to includes um, a sample of Big Floyd and DJ Screw. That version is the one that we listened to. The version, if you just like look it up on Spotify right now, after you listen to this, the version that you listen to on there won't have that sample. So that's the version that we listened to for the purpose of this little bonus. A little uh, show house cleaning. These bonuses, we're going to do them from time to time. They're going to be a bit of an irregular thing, but sometimes if we're doing a special or if we feel like it, we're just going to have these little extra kind of 20 minute, half hour, 40 minute kind of episodes that we'll throw in as a little extra. Um, And this is kind of us uh, decompressing after recording close to four hours in the original raw version of 
clipping related material <laughs> for this little February dive. So this, this is a, a bit of a looser one. We just kind of we just had to listen to that single a couple times, and we're just going to kind of have a little bit of a looser chat. There isn't really going to be any deep dive into the making of that single or the people involved. This is just going to be us kind of like getting our thoughts out on that and kind of the circumstances around this particular single as a way to kind of cap off our little February special that we've done. So to kick things off, uh, I thought it would be interesting to just kind of reflect a little bit on that sort of period in 2020, even like leading up to George Floyd's murder. It was like a really weird time, um, not just for, not just because we had just gotten out of lockdown here in New Zealand. I at least felt like things seemed really tense. Like I, we had just watched a kind of in the months leading up to that, there have been a lot of really hectic protests in the U.S. against COVID restrictions, and things just felt tense and felt like you know the axe was gonna fall at some point. I mean, that's how I kind of remember feeling prior to um, Floyd's murder. I don't know about you two, but it was just like a particularly strange time in a particularly strange era for me. Yeah. Because when was um, uh, Michael Brown? It was 2014. Was, yeah, yeah. Cause it was his killing... Oh, shit. It was his killing that sparked the Ferguson unrest, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I get him and the person who was killed that sparked the Baltimore unrest a year later. Uh, mixed up from time to time. Trayvon Martin? No, Trayvon Martin was... the killer. Trayvon Martin oh. was the kid who was killed by the off-duty club in, like, 2012, wasn't it? Because Trayvon Martin was, like, a little 12-year-old kid, wasn't he? Or was that Tamir Rice? And too many. That's the thing. Too many motherfuckers been killed yeah. by cops in the US. Yeah. <laughs> it's starting to get them all mixed up. It's like all of their fucking shootings. Like, you just start to get them mixed up eventually. Mm. And they do a live fact check. Because this is worth getting right. Yeah, no, I, I was right. Trayvon Martin was the kid killed by George Zimmerman in That's fucking right. Florida. That was this was in twenty twelve. Right, yeah. Oh, there are so fucking many. Freddie Gray, that was that guy's name. Oh right. Yeah, no, so Because Freddie Gray was um in the back of a Freddie Gray was the one who got his like spinal column all fucked up. Yeah, because they they put him in the back of the van, but they didn't put seatbelts on him. You know, this is so for like the last ten years, that's kind of been like predominantly what I see on the internet. It's like this periodic thing at this point. Like every two to three years, the pressure gets too much, and one of these people who gets usually black, not always, but usually black always like from a poor over-policed neighborhood it's it's always like it's it's never like someone who's extremely well off that gets like treated like this if it is it's frequently someone who the police perceive as not being well off Mm. so it's yeah you know not just floyd is mentioned in the track but also breonna taylor Mm. is another one who's mentioned but really it's like too many to count Mm. and like my whole adult life has just been like event after event and it's fucking miserable i i remember because like ferguson happened when i was in first year of uni and that was when i went oh shit this is the need this is 
you know, this this is the pin clattering on the ground, and things are going to change now. Because it was like, they oh yeah, now they can't fucking do this anymore, because now they know like a whole city is going to go nuts every time they do this. And then it just happened again in Baltimore. Um, and, it, and it just keeps happening. Yeah. It's been ten years, because it's like, Ferguson and Baltimore... And then there's a few years, and then it's, like, Minneapolis, and that spreads to the whole fucking country. But if you go, like, before that, I mean, there there are definitely places where unrest happened, but it wasn't quite in the same way. And you have to kind of go back to the L.A. riot in 92 to get something that's really sort of directly comparable. I mean, like... When I think about that sort of shit happening in the 2000s, I think about the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. And the, like, fucking cowboy-style police, like, Wild West shit that was going on in... New Orleans? New Orleans, thank you. Kept thinking Omaha, and it was like, no. <laughs> that absolutely wrong. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't think... Uh... I, just, I just had the O, I had the o right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, New Orleans, the, the, the cowboy style yeah. shit that was going on in New Orleans in 2004. But yeah, no, it's it's something that's like, it's so, so deeply ingrained in the fabric of American society. And, and uh, if, of class societies everywhere, but and, and it, it's just happens so fucking much in the US. Yeah, and you know, w- with the internet and the way that like social media is when certain, uh, you, you know, when things like this happen of course not every single one but a lot of them now get captured on video mm. or live streamed and you know it gets spread so quickly that like it's not that this has become more of an issue it's that we're more aware of this as an issue and the longer that you know people who think it's not an issue say that it isn't the more that we have to show them against it and it really does just become like you know fingers in the ears i can't hear you right now la 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 well it's like the pressure cooker goes off sometimes and then you know in some at some kind of like emotive level like the pressure gets released a bit when people kind of like get it out of their system um in this sort of like mass display of rebellion and, and, and rejection and refusal and then the pressure cooker it gets clamped back down and the the, the powers that be like absolutely fucking nothing and the pressure starts ratcheting up again. I mean, I mentioned the LA riot in, in 92 before because it was, like, that was the thing that, that marked that one in particular was that was one that was, was dash cam footage mm. of um, Rodney King being beaten mm. that sparked that. Yeah, but like, was it... It's like the beginning five? of, like, the media age. In terms, yeah, 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 like five different police officers took teams. Yeah, five cops. But it's the kind of the, like you can kind of draw that line from then up to that horrifying footage of George Floyd over the course of almost ten minutes being slowly suffocated, and you know it's the mark of kind of like this kind of repression that's always been there, intersecting with the the age of mass media. Um, and, and especially, particularly intersecting with the rise of, like, cameras being fucking everywhere. But, yeah, so, I kind of wanted to, sit, to to situate it, because, like, this is 
more so even than the two albums we've just discussed, this is a single that's directly responding to something. Like, those two albums were, but this is like a direct one-to-one response to something. There's not, like, really anything in the way of allegory here. This is just a straight-up... Yeah, it's a fuck-you refusal, like, we're gonna keep... We're gonna keep doing this until you get it right. Yeah, it, it directly calls out... Donald Trump is a white supremacist, full stop. If you vote for him again, you're a white supremacist, full stop. Yeah, you can't really... It's really hard to get more direct than that. Yeah. And for, for, you know, a band that usually doesn't do things with that kind of directness, it stands out. Yeah, it does. It's notable that when the band released Knees on the Ground in 2014, after the... Ferguson riots, they released a statement accompanying the album on SoundCloud and they said that quotes, Dig's lyrics have been criticised for seem, for seeming apolitical, at least in comparison to what many listeners, perhaps rightly expect to hear from an experimental rap group and went on to say that Knees on the Ground was the least obtuse Dig's lyrics will ever get it's very straightforward there, there's definitely no allegory to it there is no artifice or facade that the music is situated behind it is quite openly and plainly about what it is about and I think it's quite telling what the situation over in the states is like where that was a song from 2014 and then you have chapter 319 coming out six years later which is even more blunt it's even more direct than the previous song and it to me shows that there hasn't been a great deal of change or a great deal of growth. Yeah, how little growth or a little development there really has been in the police culture over in the States. Yeah, and it's like, when when you get really down to brass tacks and you start to look into some of the, some of the cultural mores of a lot of police departments in the US, you look into stuff like challenge coins or you look into the LAPD's police gangs, where you have, like, police units that are open, openly to each other being like, yeah, no, we're just a gang. We're a gang like any other, and we have turf like any other, and we protect that turf like any gang would. And you kind of get into the mountain of literature that's built up over the years trying to analyse the American police and its history, and... It becomes incredibly blunt how much the American police are just, like, an instrument of repression. Like, there's no attempt these days, really, to portray that old-fashioned... Even on the police's part, to portray that old-fashioned idea of the cops as just kind of like your friendly neighbourhood watch. There's no mask there, and it's just, like, kind of pure ideology, almost about how, like, the police are the thin blue line and the only reason they're there is because with, like, you know, the state needs blunt force to prevent chaos and all of this kind of, like, apocalyptic speak, which is how, like, all of that thin blue line bullshit, that that's how they talk to each other. And it's one of those things where I think, like, it just, uh, yeah, it's like the pressure cooker thing I mentioned earlier is, like, there's, there's no change and because there's no change, like, you're just going to have this happen again. We're just counting down 
and waiting until people are frustrated enough and sick enough of being treated like they are that they're going to go burn down another precinct and things are going to pop off again. We would say, like, the police are a tool of oppression. There's a quote, I can't remember who said it, but in conservatism, there is an in-group that is protected by the law but not bound by it, and the out-group who is bound by the law and not protected by it. And the police is how that distinction is maintained. It was one of the many tools that conservatism has to maintain that balance. Mm. Which is entirely unbalanced. It's really easy for people who wouldn't normally be that way inclined when they're discussing police in the US in particular, but really in many countries, I'd hazard to say in all countries, to kind of talk in terms a lot more a lot more radical a lot more in the language of kind of like liberation and liberty and freedom and whatnot than they normally would particularly when they talk about American cops because American cops kind of in the west anyway are kind of like the symbol of the state's iron hand with its velvet glove entirely removed mm. and you're just left with the iron hand there's the it's all cracked down no back down with american cops and that makes it one of those things that's it's kind of easy and also kind of hard to respond to with art because on the one hand your subject is is a very easy thing to talk about because it's so blunt it's so obvious on the other hand it kind of strips a lot of nuance out of things how do you have like this nuanced and and carefully designed artistic response to repression that's just so open and so blunt and so obvious and that can kind of make it so that any art you make in response to it kind of comes across as very blunt and and two-dimensional not that art always has to be like super complex and abstract but if you're predisposed to making art this way that way then it kind of can be like the statement that you read out earlier from from the, the single for knees on the ground it can kind of be like look we would normally be a lot more artsy and flowery about this but there's no way other than being very blunt and direct which I, I guess kind of brings us to the actual track itself i think you can kind of situate this single in a long history of songs about the cops in the u.s being shit you can go all the way back to, to wobbly folk songs from the 20s and stuff about, you know, songs about, you know, lawmen suppressing strikes and rounding up slaves to send back to the, to the plantation in the 19th century and earlier. Um, and you can go forward to a lot of songs that came out of um, especially the punk and hip-hop worlds in the 80s and 90s. I think of the relatively recent although it's a few years ago now um tracked by body count no lives matter which is a super blunt the cops are there to suppress you the only thing you can do is fight and fight as hard as you can and fight with all of the friends you can get together and fight right now like it's super didactic it's very blunt it's very straightforward and for clipping slipping into that tradition of songs that goes goes back you know a couple hundred years at least then uh, you know a couple hundred years of kind of like rebel songs songs about rising up against uh, our our masters and the powers that be then 
Kleppen kind of have a problem where they can't be as abstract as they normally would be. They have to be as blunt as their artistic chops will allow them to be. And that's kind of how I approach this single, is looking at it and being like, these lyrics are going to be very, very direct. Way more direct than David Diggs normally writes lyrics. And also the production around both. I'm thinking in particular of the kind of quiet piano part of Knees on the Ground. The production is a lot more sparkly, a lot more pristine, a lot more clear than you would normally get on a lot of clipping material. Yeah, the um, on that like I th- I reckon that for knees on the ground the closest song that there is um, you know kind of sonically is um, pain every day, which uh, the production of that track is you know it has this uh, heavily artifacted beat you know uh, like the digital kind of compression of low quality uh, MP3 that kind of aesthetic you know Earl Sweatshirt uses it. And uh, grief is also probably one of uh, the the main kind of times I've heard that used. And pain every day is one of the most emotionally heavy moments of of the diptych. I'd say one of the most emotionally heavy moments of their career outside of these two songs. Mm. These are very heavy songs, not sonically, but you feel heavy, you feel weighty after listening to these. I don't think that these songs are fun, and that's not the point. They're not supposed to be fun. They are, as you are saying, very didactic, very direct and blunt with what they are trying to do. Cause the, the, the difference between the two tracks, I think, is that Knees on the Ground is a, is a song that's in pain. That's a song grappling with the grief and horror of the good old boys in blue doing the one thing that they do really well which is arbitrarily kill people and knees on the ground is really about that like how horrifying how painful that is how awful that is that that's the reality and then chapter 319 at least to me feels like a marching song that kind of left right left and it kind of like you know their directions to you to get in the street and especially like there's that line that I think is toward the end of the song where it's like anything short of a murder charge in the streets are gonna burn what it gives me the feeling of is that 319 by comparison that's the anger song that's the song about mobilizing and that's kind of like between the two there's that I think there's kind of like a um, a split between the two on, on that basis where neither of them are happy songs but both of them are experiencing different negative emotions to each other I think it's not just a call to mobilise and to go out and protest but also a song that very clearly details the reasons behind why that mobilisation and why that sort of protest is important and necessary you have lines like this march is not a one-off. This march is not the misaimed warning shot. This march is a foot in your fucking throat to choke out the whole assumption that you are here to protect us. I could go on, but I don't want to just read out the entire lyrics for both songs. <laughs> because I feel like 
it's quite hard to isolate any individual lyrics as being any more meaningful than each other. They are all statements that build on top of each other and because it is constantly feeding you these lines and it's not giving you any sort of reprise or any sort of escape from what they're talking about and what the subject, not just the subject matter of the song, but the circumstances behind each song existing and I think the fact that they released very similar songs six years apart again shows that there just hasn't been much in the way of change, not much in the way of actual structural change in a way that's significant, in a way that prevents these situations from cropping up time and time again. I think it's, it's also interesting, isn't strong enough a word, but I'll, I'll use that. It's also interesting that those two events, Ferguson and then the nationwide unrest in 2020, span administrations as well. Like, it's so emblematic of the gridlock in American society that it doesn't actually really matter that much who's in, who, which party is in charge. Like, one of them might be more open about being awful than the other, but, like, this shit keeps happening irrespective of who's in power. Mm. And they're, like, in the two-odd... No, less than that. In the close to two years of the Biden administration that we've had so far, it's not like we stopped having police brutality. It's not like there weren't... There haven't been high-profile instances of police brutality since then. And touching on what we were talking about with the the two albums proper it's not like there's been that much of a notable shift in gun crime at least in terms of the really hardcore anti-social stuff your mass attacks with firearms i don't know the stats in terms of in terms of like individual gun crime because um, i don't live in the u.s but there, there there have been high-profile instances of this kind of, like, anti-social mass violence, both under Obama and then under Trump and then under Biden, and there have been high-profile instances of police brutality under Obama, under Trump, under Biden, and it's just sort of emblematic of the fact that the kind of mass unrest we saw in 2020 seems to be the kind of thing you need in order to get any movement whatsoever. Mm. It seems to be the only thing that pushes the needle. And it's unfortunate that that's the case, because in a better world that wouldn't be the case. But it seems to be the case, so, you know, as far as I'm concerned, so be it. It's hard not to be dramatic with this, because, like, the cases that come up, the most innocent ones are always still awful. Like, it's always still something like, I called the cops because someone stole a package off my front door and they came and shot my dog or something like like that's that's kind of like the lower end of things is this kind of like ambient completely unnecessary and totally arbitrary violence I mean there there is there, there's also a point that I've been thinking about that we haven't actually discussed yet which is that as we're talking about this we are also very far removed from this mm none of us are going to be racially profiled uh, none of us actually live under the threat that black Americans do, that Hispanic Americans do we're that in group that is protected by the law and not bound by it and that, that sucks to think and it's like I, I feel like that also kind of needs to be brought up 
when we discuss this. I think we're the in-group until we're not. I th- yeah. I think is is the, the crux of it, because there are people that live under a constant ambient kind of police terror, and there are people like us who, by dint of little more than melanin, to be honest, like mel- melanin in the suburb in which we live, don't live under that all the time. And yeah, we are, I, I think, you know, commenting on this from several thousand miles away. Yeah, in a country where our, like, uh, the sworn officers that do patrols don't carry guns. Yet. <laughs> Yet. And I guess the connective sinew that kind of that kind of makes up for that is to be like, yeah, it's not just in America. Like, America is particularly in very distinctly gaudy American, American fashion incredibly spectacular about it in terms of, of the scale of monstrosity. But we still live in a country where people's sense of like intense law and order leads to cases like that cropping up from time to time. And that's the connective sinew. Is it, it, it's not that it can happen here, it's that it does happen here. It happens here less often, but it happens here nonetheless. Uh, you know, and, and it's both like sometimes it's fucking police wailing on some Pacifica kid that completely unnecessarily for some minor infraction. Sometimes it's some kind of vigilantism, like that fucking lunatic who tied up a kid that was like burgling his place and cut his finger off a few fucking months back. It happens here. Yeah, or, or the um, there was a Pride Festival, there was a No Pride in Prisons protester who had their arm broken. Yeah, in the Arakate. Yeah. But also, it's, you know, we can easily drift back into being that out group. Mm, we know. can, yeah. You know, as, especially as being queer. There was a time that was illegal and that led to a whole lot of raids, of police brutality, and all it takes is for that to be illegal again, which there are places where that's happening. Once again, once again in the app group, mm. and it's uh, you know people wonder why like the police aren't welcome at Pride. It's because if it was illegal again, you would be the ones that would be, you know, victimizing us. Yeah, if if you look back within not our lifetimes but our parents' lifetimes, it only takes some kind of trigger of unrest, and everyone is fair game. Everyone who is disrupting the status quo is fair game. And, you know, it gets almost passe to bring up the 81 Springbok tour, but it is kind of a great touchstone in terms of, in terms of mass-scale police uh, violence in New Zealand. Everyone who was a protester was a t- had a target on their back. If you were in one of the marches that, were, that had some people like sparring with the police if you know at like say the Auckland the Auckland demonstration right towards the end or if you were one of the people that managed to get on the pitch in Hamilton it didn't matter if you hadn't personally done anything it it didn't it really didn't matter if you personally had was just were just part of the march and hadn't done anything you hadn't so much as infringed on the inviolable rights of someone's personal property yeah, you know, it didn't matter if you had, you know, fucking cursed at a barricade. If you were part of the demonstration, it's time for a P twenty four baton. 
So it's most of like 90% of the time it is certain people. In this country it's Māori and Pacifica usually who are targeted on a regular basis who have that kind of ambient all the time terror. But turning your eyes away and being like oh fuck gee it's not me cool <laughs> ah glad about that one that doesn't that doesn't roll because you're only in the the lucky group until you're not and then when you're not you're really not i, I think what i'm trying to get at is that when it comes to tracks like these their their core function is to make you see what they're trying to make you see differs depending on what the core celeb of the day is. You know, here, back back in 81, it was the horrors of apartheid. In 2020, with, the, with this track, or this pair of tracks here, it's the reality of police brutality in the States. And, and the function of the track is to make, is to take you, it's to use that fucking machine from um, A Clockwork Orange and peel your eyes open and force you to see what some people see on a regular basis. And when times like this come about, at least I think, the reality is you don't have an option not to see. You might think it's inconvenient, you might not want to get involved, you might want to stay on the sidelines, but the reality is that sometimes you just don't have a choice. And you've got, and you've got to make a choice which side you're on. I think. Yeah, I, I think that's the function of songs like this, is to, is to make you see and go which side are you on. I don't know, we've talked a lot around these tracks, but we haven't necessarily talked about the tracks themselves too much. I don't want to compare these songs to the rest of their catalogue, but these songs are harrowing in a way that I don't feel the rest of their songs are. I don't feel as though I have the same critical faculties to dissect and analyze them. I don't want to take them apart. I think there are, you could, you definitely could. It's still, they're still well produced. They're still incredibly well written. There are still lots of little details that you can pick out and read meaning into, but I don't feel like these songs really encourage that, at least not from me. They're very, not superficial, but what's on the surface is what is hiding far beneath these tracks and teasing at the sonic threads. I find the same messaging and ideas that are present on the surface in full force. I do want to add that if any listeners out there decide to purchase this through Bandcamp, when when Chapter 319 was released, Bandcamp donated all of their profits to the NAC, NAACP Legal Defense Fund. That was all album sales across all of Bandcamp for that day as well. So that was a lot of money. Wow. As well. Yeah. I didn't. Wow, shit. Wow. Since the track has been released since June 19th, 2020, all the proceeds and revenue from these tracks have been periodically collected up and donated to organizations dedicated to racial justice. So. And I guess that brings this quite depressing. <laughs> little bonus episode to a kind of natural conclusion I, I i will say directly if if you feel like it definitely chuck your chuck some money towards these two tracks the money goes to good causes and if you were tuning in and you just wanted like a dissection of the tracks themselves 
apologies because <laughs> this is turned this what is what this has turned into is us kind of like reflecting on what I think are probably on an international level one of the more important events to have happened during our lives so we're, we're gonna wrap things up there I, I am gonna say directly if you decide to put some money into this track the money goes to a good cause so I'm, I'm certainly not gonna say don't do it you know I, I think that is money well spent this is gonna kind of wrap up our little bonus episode here there's no real easy way to wrap up a topic like this but being that it's Black History Month, the topic being what it is, I think it is uh, on top of kind of using the chance to kind of highlight, you know, an extraordinarily inventive black artist who was using their art to kind of deal with the extraordinary social pain that is experienced in the United States. I think it it's only fitting that we kind of cover a track that tackles that head-on and there's no real way to wrap up from there but to say um, rest in peace George Floyd and here's for a future where there's no more situations like that here's for a future where this is just a historical fact rather than a current fact mm. These are very powerful songs, and I hope no music like this ever has to be made again. They swore to keep the peace, and it is shattered into pieces. And it bleeds on the ground. Keep your knees on the ground where they belong. Keep your knees on the ground where they belong. FM podcast. You can find more of them at r1.co.nz forward slash podcast.